0: 18 school districts represented at Grace Assembly of God. Uh, Maybe more if, you know, she didn't miscount. Math is not my strong suit, either Jesus is. So let's pray, let's invite him in uh, to this time, and uh, amen. Jesus, thank you so much for today, God. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would receive all the glory continuously today in this room full of uh, people from many generations, Lord God. Uh, And so I pray, God, uh, may our hearts be ready to receive what you have already been ministering to my heart, Lord, as I prep for today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. We just had a whole lot of time to jump around, wake up. This is second service. You drank your coffee. You're probably jittering because you maybe drank a little too much. Good morning. Good morning. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pablo Vargas. I have the privilege of serving here at Grace Assembly of God as a youth and family pastor, so I get to hang out with your teenagers, and I love teenagers. Uh, For those of you who may not, uh, that's why I'm here. (laughs) I love teenagers. absolutely love them. Um, The title of my message today is Believe. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15 this morning, uh, and so get there, but... Uh, keep your finger there. Uh, Have it ready because we'll get there eventually. One of the things that I love and that I've noticed in my life is how amazing it is that as we get older, priorities change, goals change, and maybe even the vision of your life shifts. How many of you are not what you thought you wanted to be when you were a kid? I did not want to be a pastor, not because I, you know, hated pastors or for any reason whatsoever. I just, it was not an option in my uh, view when I was a kid. It wasn't anything on the forefront of my mind or something that I was seeking after. Uh, The Lord led me here. And uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a lot of things. I got to grow up in an era where action movies were amazing uh, and, and more than more often than not, action movies uh, were, uh, man, I can start saying back in my day. That is so strange. Wow. Anyway, all right, just realization. Uh, so uh, back in my day, action movies were a lot of military movies and all that stuff and action heroes and all that stuff and conquering and defeating the enemy and... So I was like, oh, I want to be like a special forces, Navy SEAL, Army, Marine, whatever it is, Add all the list of titles that I could possibly be. And then I wanted to be a football player. I wanted to be a baseball player. I wanted to be an MMA fighter. I wanted to be a lot of things when I was a kid. I'm a pastor today. Praise God. (laughs) I have a picture of Judah on his first day of kindergarten, uh, if you could put that up. Judah is in kindergarten, super excited. He is thrilled. He is thriving. This kid, this kid who has so much energy, uh, we were anxious that he was going to be nervous about going to kindergarten, and he comes back regulated. Praise God. (laughs) Amen? Come on. Amen. And so, as you can see in Judah's sign, Judah wants to be a firefighter, naval uh, naval, naval pilot, astronaut, paleontologist, and sometimes he throws in pastor at the end of all that. And I always tell him, Judah, if you are all of those things when you grow up, you're going to be the most interesting man on the planet (laughs) next to Jesus. Vision for life shifts as we get older. When you enter a marriage covenant with someone, that vision for your life is now a shared vision where the decisions that are made are made together. It is no longer one who carries out life's vision, but two hand in hand. Eventually, if it's in God's plans for kids to come in the scene, yet again, vision for life needs to shift as your family grows and as mine will be quite literally any moment now. So the fact that I am up here, it hasn't happened yet. Vision changes because now considerations have to be made for the gift that God has blessed you with. And something was revealed in me, or rather, I was reminded of something that exists within me as I got older. And as I entered these various new phases of my life, that in being a husband and being a father. Rather, something was confronted in me again. We all have a sin nature within us. And this sin nature leads us to desire to do our own thing and control our agenda and maybe even apart from the creator. I think back to the, I think back to the garden where the first temptation was to become like God. God. To do something, you know, humanity for the first time to exist and do something apart from the creator. The temptation to become knowledgeable in that of what is good and evil. Again, this sin, nature, uh, this sin nature exists within all of us. When I got married, though, this wasn't from the wrong place, but that desire to do my own thing, to be self-sufficient to an extent, was confronted with the need for change. It is no longer just me making simple decisions like, what's for dinner today? I can't have Taco Bell because Rachel doesn't like Taco Bell. <laughs> and that's, that needs to be okay. What am I doing for fun today? What is my day going to look like? Now, it was, what are we going to eat today? And what are we going to do today? Now, there has to be a balance of me time and us time in order for our relationship to be healthy. Amen? How many of you love your me time? Me time is important. Please, take some mental health time, do things that you love and enjoy, and if you don't have one, find a hobby, amen? Find a hobby. A few years later, Judah came into this world, and a few years after that, Juliet, and now any day, baby three, no name reveals today, will be coming into this world. And when kids come into the picture, What you thought wasn't there anymore still has remnants as that you-time element, uh, though I believe to be important, needs to decrease a little more and a little more as you balance both spouse time, parent time, and then you-time. And of course, there's always the most important time that we need to have in our daily lives, our time with our Heavenly Father. Amen? The desire to be self, self self-sufficient and self-sustaining, isn't new. Again, Think back to that garden moment. Today is no different. I believe this desire of self is something that continually needs to be surrendered to Jesus. Amen? What does this have to do with next gen ministries? Thank you, Jared Thompson, for asking. I called out who's in the front row. In biblical times, when screens weren't a thing, I know some of you will say amen, and the world wasn't as connected and full of so many creative distractions that can uh, draw our attention today, a person put great intentional worth in what we know today as legacy or lineage. Continual intentional thought of my family being blessed for generations to come, and what needs to be done in my life so that my kids, my kids' kids, My kids, 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 so on and so forth, would still be serving God and be blessed by God until the coming of our Savior and the establishing of His kingdom. And in Genesis chapter 15, we meet a man named Abram, and Abram was no different. He desired for his family, his lineage to be blessed, but there was a huge problem in Abram's plans and desires. He had no kids, he had no children. In his mind, his name, his family name would die out with him because he had no heir. And having an heir in those times was a big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal that you would become the, the, the center of attention when it came to community gossip if you were entering older stages of life and you still had yet to have an heir. And so he desired one so bad. And that's where we are now find ourselves in Genesis 15. And before we get to Genesis 15, which we're going to be reading verses 1 to 6, let me tell you a little bit about Abram. Here's what we know about Abram or Abraham. I'm going to be bouncing back and forth because it's the same person. He gets the name Abraham. And if you hear me say Abram or Abraham, it's the same person. Amen? If you read your Bibles, you will see what happens in his life that's amazing where he gets the name Abraham. Amen. Uh, Let me tell you a little little bit about Abram. Abram was from the lineage of Shem, who was Noah's son. The Lord spoke to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 and told him to go from the land of his father's house into a land that he would show him and he would make him a great nation, that God would bless him and his lineage in many ways. So Abram went as the Lord directed him, just like that. How many of you grew up in Syracuse? How many of you would be hesitant who grew up in Syracuse if God told you, I need you to go to Tokyo, Japan tomorrow? Just trust me. I'm not telling you all of the plan, but I just need you to go there and be obedient, and I will show you the land that you're going to step into. It's intimidating. It's intimidating. That's literally the other side of this planet. And here's Abram. He went as the Lord directed him. He gets to the land of Canaan and the Lord reveals to Abram that he would give him this land currently occupied by the Canaanites to his offspring. A Few more things happen in his life, but at this point in Abram's life, we know one major thing about him. He trusted God and believed him at his word. He trusted God and believed him at his word. In Genesis 14, Abram saved his nephew Lot from being captured by a foreign kingdom Spark Notes, that's the one sentence, abbreviated version of what happens in Genesis 14. Please read Genesis 14 so that you can get all the details. And that's where we now find ourselves in Genesis chapter 15, which is where we're about to read. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. It says this After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him, he being God, took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count uh, count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. The promise of God right there. That his offspring, his lineage would be as grand as the stars in the sky, innumerable. And verse 6, verse 6 is so important. Verse 6 is so important. Here's what it says: Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him. As righteousness, Abram right here in scripture is receiving the promise of God that he will have an heir and that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And we already know Abram as a man who trusted God and believed him at his word. So when God gave him the promise, Abram did what he was already doing. Did you catch that? Abram did what he was already familiar with in his life. He just continued to trust God. And believe him at his word. So when God said this to Abram, Abram did just that. He believed him at his word, and that belief was accredited to him as righteousness a righteousness through faith. Sounds familiar. That's where we stand today in the new covenant with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We don't have a righteousness that is through works, through deeds, or anything we can do. It is a righteousness that comes from faith alone, belief alone, in Jesus. Amen. If you're looking for a three-point message this morning, with two subpoints to each point and some subpoints under those subpoints, and getting all complicated and layered, it's not going to happen this morning. I have one point. For those who are simple-minded like me, said, Amen. Well, wow, well, we got a lot of complex minds out here. Praise God. I only have one point for today. And it's the only point that we needed. It's this. Your belief can be caught. Your belief can be caught. When someone genuinely believes something, there is fruit of that belief evident in their life. Amen? When somebody believes that the New York Giants are going to win the Super Bowl this year, I know it's a little forward thinking. Or the Buffalo Bills. The Dallas Cowboys. It's my people over there. Whatever it be, when you believe that your sports team is the best sports team on the face of the earth, what do you do? You wear jerseys, you buy merch, you go to games, you talk about them, and you talk trash to the other teams. Just happens. When you believe in something like hard work, you believe that hard work pays off and that the fruit of hard work would be rewarded over time. If you genuinely believe in Jesus, the fruit of that belief should be evident. Amen? What do I mean by this? If you genuinely believe in Jesus, that means that you're in your word at home and at church. That means that you're worshiping at home, and at church. Or should I say privately and publicly, not just at church. You pray both privately with your family and friends and publicly maybe with an, a coworker, if God gives you the opportunity and you see that clearly they need prayer right now and you ask them and the Lord just opens that door privately and public, uh, private and uh, public prayer. When you genuinely believe in Jesus, And he exists and is sitting on the throne of your heart. The fruit of the Spirit is evident. Uh, I had Kaya last service. I'm going to ask for a new volunteer. Oh, it was Brielle. So never mind. Kaya, do you have it? All right, Kaya, give me the fruit of the Spirit. Let everyone know. I want you to say it as loud as you can. Amen. Can you give it up for Kaya? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all things that are evident in the life of somebody who has Jesus sitting on the throne of their heart and the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. When you genuinely believe in Jesus, you talk about him. When you genuinely believe in Jesus, you live for Jesus. When you genuinely believe in Jesus, you make Jesus the priority of your life. Now here's where I need to talk about balance. Everyone say balance. Say priorities. Say Hakunumatada. It's just an opportunity. It has nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to do that. When you genuinely believe in Jesus, Jesus needs to become your priority, and here's why. There's only one spot in your life, only one person that should be acknowledged as your everything, and that's Jesus. Sometimes we get it mixed up when we enter marital covenants and we begin idolizing our spouse. Or maybe when you have kids and, and you begin idolizing your kids and other relationships seem to be falling apart because there's, there's an imbalance in your life. Jesus should be the only one who is sitting on that throne of our everything. Amen? And when Jesus is your everything, you walk in obedience to him in husbands loving your wife as Christ loved the church, in wives being obedient, being a team together. When Jesus is on the throne and you guys are doing that, just that, then you're able to be godly parents and raise up a generation that serves and loves the Lord. There needs to be balance. We serve a God of balance, and I'm thankful for that balance. So when you genuinely believe in Jesus, you make him your priority. Abram made God his priority, but how many of us know that Abram was not perfect? Amen? If you're perfect in this room, stand up. I was waiting for somebody to do it. I saw, I saw you. I saw you over there. I saw you. Abram slipped up and he messed up because of that nature that's within us that I was just talking about a few moments ago. That desire to do things ourselves, to take our own lives into our hands, and all right, God, you promised it, but Lord, I'm an old man now, and you promised me children, and my my wife and I, we can't have children. So uh, Sarah gave the blessing for him to conceive a child with one of his servants, and he he took things in his, to his own hands because life life got uh, got to a point where he was just overwhelmed. Because he was just starting to think of all the factors as if all of those factors made it impossible for God to be God. And so, what did he do? He took it into his own hands. However, did Abram, when he messed up, become disqualified from the fulfillment of the promise of God? No. Because we serve a gracious God who forgives and who is merciful by nature. But he's also just by nature which is why we need Jesus. Amen? The Bible says that we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, there is grace because the Bible just as equally says for at the right time, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus. God's promise was fulfilled in the life of Abram or Abraham as will the promise that one day he is coming back for his people. Amen? Amen. I love illustrations. I absolutely love. If you saw me preach a few months ago, I had the thing with the, with the uh, ping pong balls and the water. I love visuals because I'm so visual. And I just love storytelling because, again, you're able to just visualize. And so this week, I was even talking with Pastor Julie. Like, Pastor Julie, if you think of an illustration, like, or if you see something online, like, I'll take it. You know, I love illustrations. And when I was preparing for this message... I was at home. It's amazing. I wanted an illustration and God gave me a story. When I was at home preparing for this message, I was reading Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 to 6 out loud. And here's what my surrounding looked like. I was at home sitting on my table. Uh, Judah was at school. It's very new for me. He was at school so the house was a little quiet. Rachel was at an appointment because again, any day now, like, imagine she texts me like, code word, I don't know, pumpkin bread. Book it. Sorry, guys. Pray, God will reveal to you the rest of the word. I was, I was reading Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6 out loud. It was just me and Juliet. And so Juliet did what the lovely Juliet does. She is so awesome. She's a great sleeper. She can play quietly. Juliet, can you please help me clean this up? Okay, daddy. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. And so it's just me and Juliet hanging out. And so I'm reading Genesis 15, 1 to 6 out loud and from different translations. I'm reading really the whole chapter out loud. I'm wanting to just become familiar with it. And then Juliet begins talking with me. And uh, I'm going to say this in Juliet language. I wrote it down because it was cute. She says, Daddy, what you doing... And so I said, I'm reading the Bible. Why you read Bible? Cute, right? Here's the part that might make me cry. I told her, because I want to know God more. Because I love Jesus and he loves me. And Juliet then replies, mommy loves Jesus. Judah loves Jesus. And daddy loves Jesus. So I love Jesus. Whew, I wasn't ready for that one when that happened. <laughs> I'm one of those guys who like, I never cry. And ever since I had a daughter, God was like, Haha, you're a crier now. <laughs> it's still new. All right. I'm getting used to it. <laughs> church, can I challenge you to make what we do at church An extension of what already is happening at home. If I could have the worship team come up. It shouldn't be the opposite. Sometimes we have it backwards. Where we think to ourselves what we do at home is an an extension of what happens at church, that's backwards thinking. I'm a firm believer that what we do when we gather today should be an extension of what happens every morning that you wake up with your kids and Maybe you read the word or you worship, or you know what? Everyone woke up late. We have time to huddle as a family and we're going to pray. We're going to give the day to God. I'm a firm believer that what happens here should be an extension of what's already going on at home. Because when your kids see your faith in action, it can cause them to believe. It can cause them to ask questions like why do mommy and daddy love Jesus? When your kids see your faith in action, it can cause them to ask questions like, why does grandma and grandpa love Jesus so much? Should I love Jesus? See, Rachel and I can no longer live our lives like we did before we got married because we have a family now. So we lay selfishness at the foot of the cross and I believe the greatest legacy that you can leave your kids is not material in any way, shape or form if not monetary in any way, shape, or form. I believe the greatest legacy you can leave your kids, your kids' kids, your kids' kids' kids, so on and so forth until the return of Jesus is a lineage of faith, a lineage of belief in Christ and Christ alone until the day he returns or causes home to be with him. So, what do we need to do to take, uh, what do we need to do in our walks to ensure that our family knows, loves, and serves Jesus for generations to come until that faithful day when the promised return of our Savior is fulfilled? Can you just put my title slide back up? Here's what you need to do believe. Believe and believe well let your kids see your faith let your kids see you in the word allow your kids to audibly hear you praying in the name of Jesus and that can cause them to ask questions i'm thankful for the little moment that god gave me with my daughter just a couple days ago cuz it to me it was just a comfort you know sometimes as a parent you're like man am i am i missing it Am I doing it right? And that was just a subtle reminder for me. It almost as if God was saying, Pablo, she sees you. She's watching. Keep believing in me and keep allowing her to see it. Amen?